Hey, this is Pastor Joaquin G. Molina from Spring of Life Fellowship, and I want to welcome you to our podcast. I hope you're encouraged with this message and you stay the course to change the world. God bless you. Father God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for uh, the blessing of being able to congregate, uh, to encourage each other, to hear your word, uh, Father God, to really uh, learn, Father God. And we ask you for a supernatural grace and strength just so that we can do what you have called us to do, Father God, and put this word into practice. We ask you that every word that comes out from this pulpit this morning, Lord, be for your glory and honor, Father God, and for the edification of your bride, that we uh, should continue to be prepared, Father God, and trained up, you know, for the day of your coming, Lord Jesus. And we just want to give this service completely over to you, Lord, surrender it fully to the Holy Spirit, that he would take control of every word and action that is uh, done here this morning. And uh, Father God, we glorify you. And uh, you are sovereign in this place this morning, Lord. We just thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So, um, you know, the pastor usually he'll tell us, look, I want you to preach on this. I want you to preach on that. But he kind of left it open. And uh, God has been speaking to me a word that I have been uh, chewing on, you know, for a long time. Because we do definitely live in a different age and different season uh, where the people call for equality, where people call for tolerance. But it's, it's a very uh, specific equality, right? It's a very specific tolerance that does not include Christians and people that want to do things right. There's very little tolerance for people that want to do things the way the Bible teaches. And there's very uh, little equality for people that want to honor God and obey God in their lives, you know. And so uh, we're living in, in, a, in a situation and in, in a season that uh, everybody wants to be the center wants to be the meat of it all. They want to be the center of the universe, and nobody wants to serve other people. So as a little brother, I want to remind you guys, this is kind of like a little review from Sunday school for the new members on our congregation this morning. Um, we remember uh, Jesse's youngest son. He was a little brother. Who was that? Jesse's younger son. Who are we talking about? Jesse, his youngest son, was out in the field taking care of the sheep, David, yeah, David, he was a little brother, right, that God lifted up and God used, and he eventually became king. We remember Cain's little brother. Who was Cain's little brother? Abel. Abel was uh, a righteous man. He, he served God, and he sacrificed appropriately to God. We remember uh, Ishmael's little brother. Who was Ishmael's little brother? Isaac, yes, Isaac. Thank you, Grandma. Grandma's helping our uh, Sunday school graduates here this morning. Isaac, he was a little brother that was faithful, and, and God honored him and his generations. Um, uh, who was Esau's little brother? You guys remember? Jacob, Jacob. Jacob was very clever. Jacob's heart was to do everything possible to obtain God's inheritance for his life. And he was very tricky, very clever, but God honored him in his life. Um, the little brother we're going to be talking about this morning is a little brother that was not like any of these we talked about. This guy was irresponsible. He was self-indulgent. He was probably spoiled, right? He was probably raised in a way that he was a center of his own universe. Not very wise guy. He was uh, uh, not making good decisions. And uh, we're going to read about him in Luke chapter 15. We could go there to Luke chapter 15 and verse 11. This is a famous prodigal of a lost son. And I know that you guys have probably heard this message, and you've probably heard it preached before. Um, notwithstanding, I thought it was important to go ahead and review in the light of what's going on in today's world. It's a great message that we can reflect on 
and uh, try to understand God's heart for his people and his children and God's heart as a father. Amen? In verse 11, it says, Then he said, Jesus, to the, uh, there were the Pharisees and the scribes were there. So that was one group. And then there was another group that were the tax collectors and the sinners, right? So there was two different groups. And kind of Jesus kind of was uh, not talking probably to the Pharisees and the scribes. He was probably addressing the sinners and the tax collectors. And actually the Pharisees and the scribes, they were mocking Jesus. They were making fun of him because they said, look at this guy. He calls himself a holy man, a, a rabbi. He calls himself a prophet, a preacher. Yet there he is with the sinners. He's eating with the sinners and the tax collectors. And the religious people were kind of looking down on him because they were criticizing him. And so Jesus took the opportunity because usually he would rebuke those guys and send them away. But Jesus took the opportunity because there was a bunch of sinners and tax collectors. It says the place was packed with sinners and tax collectors. And so I know Jesus in this story, he was probably talking to the sinners and the tax collectors. And if you try to identify yourself, am I... A religious person? Am I a Pharisee? Am I a scribe? Am, am, am I the one that comes behind people and says, you didn't do that right. You didn't do this right. Pastor, why'd you do this? Pastor, why'd you allow that? Are you a Pharisee or a scribe? Or are you one of the other group, the tax collector, the sinners? I, I consider myself a sinner. That's who I think I'm. I think I'm part of the sinners group. Um, I need God's grace. I need God's compassion in my life because if I don't get God's grace and God's compassion, I end right there. There's nothing about me that is good enough to sustain me walking a life that honors God. So when I read this parable, I'm reading it like if it was for myself, you know, because I am one of those sinners that needs to understand better God's grace and God's compassion. So it says that Jesus was speaking to them. And he said, there was a man that had two sons. The younger son, the little brother, right? He said to the father, father, give me the portion of good that falls to me. And so it says here in verse 11 that the father divided them in, unto them his livelihood. So everything that the father had, you know, this was supposed to happen after the father's death, correct? Uh, this was the resources that God had prospered the father with in order to be able to feed the family, sustain the family, all his employees, all his workers. But the little brother says, hey, I want my portion now. And the father now has to imagine, go back and make account of all his assets and give the little brother his portion. And in Jewish law, the little brother got one-third of the father's possessions. The older brother, the firstborn, got two-thirds of the father's possession. And in here, and in many commentaries, it says that the father divided the goods up between the two brothers. So the father, before his death, is having to really, you know, give away all of his possessions to these kids that, in a way, uh, were demanded at that time before his death. Now, whatever would have possessed this young man to ask for his inheritance before his father's death. Now, I'm a father, right? And so if one of my kids came up to me and said, Dad, I want my inheritance now, in my mind, I'm kind of, wait a second. Uh, what are you saying? Like, uh, you wish daddy was gone already? Are, are you done with daddy? Are you sick of daddy's uh, relationship, uh, leadership, guidance in your life? Are you ready to go on your own? And, and the father could very well have taken offense of this, right? Um, so what possessed this young man to ask for his uh, inheritance early? And nobody knows Jesus doesn't go into it. He doesn't uh, specify what led to that. Um, but it was definitely unusual. It was probably inappropriate, out of season, out of place. It was not his time to receive his inheritance. And we could extrapolate that because 
of what happened. We know what's going to happen later, right? So we could assume the Bible says, by the fruit, you will know. So we can judge based on the fruit that we see. And we know that the fruit, the outcome of this attitude was not a good one. So based upon that, I wanted to focus on two things specifically. Uh, although human behavior is extremely complex, there could have been a hundred reasons why this young man did that. It could have been the father's fault for raising a spoiled kid that thought he was the center of the universe. It could have been the mom's fault. It could have been society was changing. It could have been the seasons that they were in. God knows what was going on with this young man. But I just want to focus on two specific things that I think appropriately could describe what this young man was uh, thinking and going through. And uh, we definitely know that he was not a very wise young man. Uh, he immediately is taking upon himself um, the, the responsibility of putting aside the guidance and the leadership of his dad, the dad's agenda, the dad's purpose and plan for his life, and he automatically began to take on his own agenda. Um, there's a, um, a movement, it's called, well, back in the 80s, it was called humanism, right? Humanism was very big back in the 80s, late 70s, 80s. Uh, when I was in college, that was the, the fad of the day. It kind of dissipated a little bit, but it did leave its remnants, right? And we see many of its remnants in all the universities. Uh, it even crept into the churches uh, where humanism, you could think about um, how churches change. You know, they became more about the comfort and the happiness and the pleasure of the individual rather than the individual being convicted and confronted with the word of God and being challenged and changing. You know, now it's uh, it, people want to be comfortable. People want their kids to have a great Sunday school experience. You know, in many churches, they develop their Sunday school because if they don't, the churches know that the parents will leave to another church because the kid's Sunday school is not to their liking. And so we became more of a, of a person-centered uh, uh, church than what it used to be. You think back in the days of... Uh, John Wesley and the revival in this country and the preachings, you know, that came out. They were fire and brimstone. Nowadays, many of the churches are just out there to make people comfortable and happy. We call them uh, Mickey Mouse churches, right? Uh, Walt Disney is what they're called. Um, but all this stemmed from this attitude of humanism of putting the person in the center and not God, kind of putting God at the rim. And th this term called Christian humanist came up, right? So the Christian humanist, which is what this son demonstrates, this attitude that the son demonstrates is to be able to exploit and use the father's resources for his own personal gain. So it's not about what the bride of Christ needs to be prepared. It's not what does my brother need? How can I serve my brother? How can I lay down my life and benefit and be a blessing to my brother? How can I serve the pastor? Pastor, what do you need? Where do you need me, pastor? Why well, need you at the door? Yes, sir. Why well, need you back here? And we see that in this church, you could see people that have that attitude. Pastor, where do you need me? Where can I stand? And, and I'll tell you what. A lot of these people are professionals and leaders and they're important people out there in the real world. Yet they come in here, they put their head down and they understand the bride of Christ. They are able to discern the body of Christ and, and be able to come in here and just serve and lay their lives down for the benefit of the body of Christ. This is not what's going on here. This young man says, hey, what can I get for me so that I could be happy, so that I could grow? How can I exploit my father's resources? How can I take what he has for me at a season and inappropriately in order so I can be happy and comfortable. So this is an attitude where people are looking uh, for their own personal fulfillment, 
Uh, they're looking for their own personal happiness. They don't care. They're not concerned. He wasn't concerned about his older brother. That was basically in medicine, we call it dumping, right? When, uh, when you're taking care of a service of a floor and the person that's working with you calls in sick, what happens? You have to take care of all the patients that day. So if there's uh, 20 patients and you do 10 and 10, if the other person doesn't show up that day, you have to do all 20 patients. So it makes the day longer for you. And so it's very inconsiderate. It's unprofessional. This kid didn't care. He didn't think about, at all about his older brother having to tend to the fields and to the livestock and assist his father. We assume the father was already advanced in age. So the father definitely needed his son's help in order to continue to take care of, uh, of the families. Um, he didn't care. He, he could care less. He just said, look, give me what's mine. I'm out of here. I'm going to go find my own, my own thing. Um, we, here in this church, I've had people come up to me and say, hey, uh, do you think the pastor has a, a place for me? Do you think like, and, and do you think the pastor uh, could give me something that I, I can, you know, benefit from? Like, uh, maybe I could, I, and, and I literally tell them, I go, look, why don't you go out there and learn some kind of skill, have some kind of ability, some kind of talent, and then come back to the pastor and say, pastor, look, this is what I could do. How can I serve you? Pastor, how can I bless the church? Don't come here with your hands out like that, like, gimme, gimme, gimme. My name is Timmy, right? Or you're used up Jimmy. So, no, we want to come here and say, Pastor, how can I serve you? Know, not what can I get from you. Um, I also seen some other phenomenon that, you know, many times pastors, now our pastor has been doing this for a lot of years, several decades, and that's a phenomenon because most pastors have a half-life of about seven years. Most pastors, if they make it to 10 years, that's like ahead of the curve, right? Because what happens is the people that come in here, they want to jump on the pastor and ask the pastor, give me this, give me that, I need this, I need that. They call the pastor 24-7, and the pastors put themselves out there for that. Uh, we've been in the in men's services and in the regular services uh, that are in the evenings, and the pastor would have sung happy birthday for somebody, he would have prayed for somebody. He would have met with somebody. And it's around 11 o'clock at night, 11.15. And his wife and his kids are at home waiting for him. And somebody will literally come in at that time to want to meet with the pastor. And literally, and the pastor will stay. He stays. He stays because he would stay till 3 o'clock in the morning. This is his life. This is his calling. He loves it. I know many times in his own house, there's people over there till 1, 2 o'clock in the morning. No problem. But... If we as a church had the attitude of what can I do to serve the pastor, how can I give, how can I serve so the pastor could benefit and be refreshed from my life, pastors would be the healthiest, happiest people and their ministries would last for decades. But we don't see that. We don't see that. And so, and it's a lot of this attitude of what can I get out of it for myself. So let's go to James chapter 3 verses 13 through 17. James chapter 3. This is a verse that the pastor brings up quite often, and it's a verse that every time he says it, I'm like, you know, this is amazing. Um, because it exactly describes what we're trying to talk about here this morning. We said that this young son, he was not wise, but this verse, uh, James chapter 3, verse 13, it says, Who is wise and understanding among you? So, yeah, who's using their head? Let him show by good conduct and by his works that are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. Verse 15, go 14, 15. It says, 
This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. Whenever we're fighting to gain our own, to bring pleasure to ourselves, to find a more comfort area for ourselves, this is a, what it's saying, earthly, sensual, and demonic. Verse 16. So this is James chapter 3, verse 16. It says, where there is envy and self-seeking exists confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above, verse 17, is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now, James 3.16, go back to 3.16, where, for where there is envy and self-seeking exists confusion and every evil thing are there. There is no way in the world, there's no philosophy, no religion, there's no system that puts the needs of the individual, uh, satisfying the individual, bringing pleasure to the individual above everybody else that is able to be sustained because the individual, your needs, your desires is an insatiable black hole. I mean, you can never be completely satisfied. I find in my practice, almost immediately when people come in for the first time and they're experiencing depression or anxiety, generally they're isolated and separated from everybody and they're not interacting they're not communicating in healthy relationships one of the first thing i tell them is why don't you go out and find somebody to serve i don't say it like that but i say do you like to volunteer go to the soup kitchen go serve some people because i know if i get people to start serving and start giving and start looking at other people's needs and not their own when they begin to focus on what around them they can benefit and they get out of their own mind they begin to get better i mean it's just something that happens it's a phenomenon it's the way god designed us we achieve much more fulfillment from serving and giving to somebody else than if we self-fulfill and self-buy you know you could buy yourself the i mean it's a phenomenon that when i was younger i didn't understand now i understand it that uh, i would hear about these very very wealthy people that had everything lived in these huge mansion um you know and they're the most miserable people in the world. I never understood that. I said, man, if I had a house like that, I'd be happy. You know, when I was a kid, I said, man, if I had a car like that, I'd be ecstatic. Man, if I had that amount of money, I would buy this kind of boat and I would travel to this place and I'll be the happiest man in the world. I never understood why it was that people that focused and made their life goal to make a lot of money and have a lot of things, I didn't understand why they weren't happy. It didn't make sense to me. But now it makes sense. Because we only get happy, we only like get fulfilled when we serve, when we bless others. That's the way we're designed. That's the way God designed us, amen? And so contrast James 3.16 to John 3.16. And the reason I put it like that is because this is going to be easy for you guys to remember. John 3.16, what does it say? Come on, everybody say it loud. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So that the example that God gave us, okay, was to give, to sacrifice, to give it all, not hold back. And he gave it all. He didn't hold back. In contrast with James 3.16, where we're seeking our own. We want to be happy. We want to be fulfilled. And we think that happiness is an end unto itself. Sadly to find out that it's not. Happiness is a fruit or consequence of serving others, of blessing others, of hard work and sweat. Happiness is when you bust your tail to do well on an exam, and then the exam comes back and you get a good result. Then you're happy. 
Happiness doesn't come like, you know, I give you the full exam with all the answers. You just go there and sit and fill it out. I guarantee you're not going to achieve the same level of happiness that if you would have worked hard for it. So whenever we work hard and serve and, you know, we put our blood, sweat, and tears into it, and then we have a good outcome, as a result, we become happy. So happiness is not a goal that we should uh, uh, try to attain. In today's world, we talk a lot about being happy and happy and happy and we have a lot of self-help books, and if you go on this diet, you're happy. If you look like this, you're happy. If you have that, you're happy. If you go to this school, you'll be happy. If you go to that school, you won't be happy. And we put our happiness, we externalize it, and put it in a lot of objects later to find out that you're in that school. You have that kind of whatever. You are that kind of person, and you're still not happy. So what happens with the self-help industry? It's a multi-billion dollar industry. Because those people never become happy. So they always buy the next book, the next fad, the next conference. And you know how much those conferences cost? <laughs> we were at the, at the Breakers one time, and uh, Tony Robbins was there, the motivational uh, guru, uh, you know. And the, he had about, it was probably like 25, 30 people. Each one of them paid $35,000 for the weekend to sit in front of him and hear him, you know, talk. And so it's an insatiable need you know, that these people go out to try to find happiness in all these things. And we're going to talk about later why they're not finding it, why it's not there. But it's definitely not there. Um, and so we see that this young man, as soon as he put himself in first place, as soon as he took on his own agenda and left his dad's agenda, as soon as he took on his own needs and put them above the family's needs, that was a first step in the wrong direction. It was doomed to fail. And I could have conversations with you. And I could hear him talk. And as they talk, I hear a lot of I because I because I because when I and I need this and I need that. And I'm ready for this and I'm ready for that. And I can no longer whatever. And I'll stop him about 15 minutes into it. I said, listen, this is a big red flag because the whole time all I've heard is your needs and what you need. And what you need to be fulfilled and what you need to be happy and what you're looking for. You have not once mentioned your wife. You have not once mentioned your children. And so to me, that's a big red flag because they drag their wives, their families, their children into situations because of their own needs that is detrimental to their children and to the wives. They don't consider the needs of the wives and the children. Where can my wives receive the nourishment, the blessing, the encouragement, the guidance where they could continue to grow? Um, when uh, we first got married, uh, we had Annalie. We just dropped off at the airport. She went back to Texas. She was with us for 10 days, so that was a blessing. But when she was born, I mean, that, like, automatically, that, that changed the game for me. You know, when you have your first kid, it's like everything's different. You drive different. You talk different. You walk different. You know, you can no longer just live in the here and now, but you're thinking about the future. Um, and so, you know, whenever we were part of a church, whether it was in uh, South Carolina or Texas, Dominican Republic or here, we would always think, where can our kids grow up the healthiest? Where can they mature and blossom and be everything that God intended for them? We thought about that about their church. Then about their school, we thought, where can our kids blossom and, be, and flourish and, and be nourished? And what school could we put on? So, you know, the consideration, and let me tell you something. As parents, I was a doctor, you know. It wasn't supposed to be like this. But there were some times that we had to go to the school to ask them to, for assistance, you know, and that's embarrassing, that, that's whatever. Um, for a lot of years, a lot of years, I drove old Hondas, old Toyotas, 
you know, uh, I always try to put my wife in a good car because I didn't want her to break down somewhere with the kids. So she always had a decent car. But for a lot of years, I was a doctor. I was a physician. I was making good money. And I was driving these junk cars, you know. And whatever. It was embarrassing. I'll tell you the truth. Uh, even the residents had, like, nice cars, you know. They had BMWs, Mercedeses, you know, the latest Toyota, you know, the latest Honda. And here's the attending that was, you know, I was driving this broken down car, you know. And it did break down on the street on me several times. Um, for a lot of years, my car didn't even have AC, you know, because uh, literally um, my kids were always in the best schools. And the best schools that we could possibly, you know, and it's expensive. It's very expensive. And so, um, you know, I understand. But, I mean, it was a lot of praying and trusting God for the next year, for the next month, for the next semester. Um, but it became about them. Um, and so... Uh, you can't maintain a family. You can't maintain a marriage if you're just thinking about yourself. So this prodigal son, we can see he, he, was, he was wrong from the get-go. The second factor that I wanted to focus on, the, the second attitude, and, and this is a heavy-duty one because this one's a little more subtle. You know, we don't talk about it a lot, but it's very important because um, Satan's been using this technique, this trick, ever since the Garden of Eden. With Eve, somehow... Adam and Eve, how many know that Adam and Eve had everything? They had everything. They lacked nothing. I mean, they were on top of the world, as on top of the world as any human ever was. They lacked nothing. More importantly, they had understanding and wisdom, and they walked with God and talked with God. They had everything, right? She lacked nothing, correct? Yet the devil was able to convince her that she lacked something. Is that not amazing? And so the devil was able to come up to her and say, listen, God told you that you have everything that he blessed you with everything, but I'm going to tell you a secret. God's holding back on you. That's satanic. When we think that God is holding back on us, that we deserve something, but God is not giving it to us, that for some reason God is going out of his way to rain on our parade, that is satanic. That is diabolical. And it's a trick that Satan's been using from day one because apparently human nature may feel insecure or needy or whatever and so satan knew that and he grabbed her by there and after a brief conversation with the devil she actually went out of what god had provided to obtain something that god had not given her does that make sense so this is a trap and this is something that god uses a lot with ourselves with the dads with the parents in this place i have been christians for many years the devil will throw this at me but he also uses that for our children. There are many times when your children will feel like dad is holding back on me. Mom is holding back on me. Why do I not have this? Why do I not have that? And they see the other friends in school that have this and have that and have the other. And you kind of feel like, why don't I have that? And I know that we in this church, we focus a lot on family and on marriage and on, you know, uh, what manhood is and all that. And sometimes people could come in here and their marriages are broken. You know, the wives don't want to talk to them. Their husbands don't want to talk to them. Their children have left. And sometimes when people come up here and say testimonies about their kids and how well they're doing and their families and their marriage, what a submissive wife they have, what a wonderful husband they have, those people feel like, why not me? How come I can't have that? How come God hasn't blessed me? How come God hasn't brought my child back? How come God hasn't restored my marriage? And the devil starts playing tricks on their head and telling them, God's holding back on you. God is not giving you what's rightfully yours. You know, why him and not you? 
You shouldn't even go there anymore. You shouldn't even believe that. That's a bunch of malarkey, right? <laughs> I learned that up in South Carolina. You know, that's a bunch of lies. And, 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 and the, the devil will convince them and will hook them. Will hook them with that and drag them right into the mud like he did with the prodigal son. And so this is, this is a big deal, you know. You're walking around, you're feeling like you're lacking, like you, you're missing something. This prodigal son felt like he didn't have everything that he deserved. He felt like it was his season, it was his time, and darn it, I'm going to go get it for myself. But it wasn't his season. The dad had not given him that yet. Now, we see that the dad get, did give it to him, right? And so sometimes we twist God's arm and we pray and we say, God, I want it here and I want it now. And, and, and we cry out to God and God says, I had a date and a time for you for that. There was a, a time in the future when you were ready for it that I was going to give it to you. And it was going to explode. And it was going to be great. It was going to be phenomenal and have a great long-term outcome. But because you want it now, like he did to the Jews in the desert, you want it now, here you go. And we have a temporary satisfaction, a temporary joy. But the long-term outcome is not the one that God intended. Because we prematurely went into a season or obtained something that God was not ready for us to have. Does that make sense? And so I've driven a bunch of broken cars for a lot of years, a lot of years. And now God has seen it fit to bless me with a really nice car. And I got no issues with that. I got no issues with that. I waited for a long time and I'm still waiting. <laughs> I'm licking my chops. But, you know, God has everything perfect in its season. If you wait on God, it's going to be the most perfect thing. You're going to be so fulfilled and joyous like nothing you've ever imagined. So let's be patient wait on God. There was a couple guys in the Old Testament, another Sunday school review. You ready, girls? So you guys remember how Abraham and Sarah, God said, look, I'm going to give you the son of the promise. I'm going to give him to you. He's going to come and you're going to, your, your generations are going to be like the sands of the sea. They're going to be like the stars, you know, numerous. And Abraham and Sarah, they kind of got a little antsy. It's like, oh man, come on. I, but, and Sarah concocted this idea, Abraham, why don't you go and, and be with the maid? Why don't you go and be with the maid? And so he did. He went and he laid with the maid and they had a son. Who was a son? You guys remember? Ishmael. That was from the Sunday school graduates, not for you guys. Ishmael. To this day, we're paying the price for Ishmael. To this day. Because he was a little quick on the draw. He didn't wait on God for the promise. You imagine what a different world we would live in today if it wasn't for Ishmael? If it wasn't for Eve? You imagine? And Adam? What a different world we live in? How about Saul's impatience? King Saul's impatience, what did it cost him? Saul was supposed to wait for the prophet to come and prepare the sacrifice and give the sacrifice to God. God wasn't ready for him to go into battle yet. The men weren't ready. And Saul kind of got antsy. He got big-headed. He thought, well, I'm king. You know, why do I have to wait for anybody? I'm going to go ahead and prepare the sacrifice and give the sacrifice to God. Prematurely, out of season, not in its time. And he lost the throne for that. King Saul lost the throne. After that event, after that moment, in 1 Samuel 13, God removed him from the throne. He lost the throne. How about Moses? What happened to Moses? What did Moses' impatience cause him? He didn't get into promised land, right? 
He was after all the hard work and sweat and putting up with these knuckleheaded uh, Israelites and, and confronting the Pharaoh. I mean, he had, he had done the heavy lifting. He got him to that point. But a moment of impatience, a moment of anger, a moment of I'm going to jump on this, not like God told me, not based on God's design, but I'm going to do it my way. He jumped all over that rock and beat that rock. God said, you know, because you didn't do it my way, you're not going to be able to cross over into the promised land. It cost him the promised land. So I hope I'm painting a picture for you guys that it's no small thing when we step out on our own and get ahead of God. It's no small thing. It's a big deal. And sometimes, you know, in my own life and the things that I've had to go through, you know, um, I'm thinking about my wife and my kids. And I'm saying, you know, I mean, God, I could put up with this. Like I could go live under a bridge. I don't care. I could eat anything. I mean, I don't have a lot of needs, but there's no way in the world my wife is going to have to go through that. There's no way in the world my kids are going to have to put up with that. They're not going to go to school, you know, and be ashamed and embarrassed. They're not, you know, and so I will get ahead of God. And make a move on something that I wasn't supposed to. And then later, who pays the price? I pay the price and my kids and my wife pay the price. So it's a big deal. What happens if we feel like, you know, we're in our single season, you know, and, and we're struggling. This person got married and that person got married. And look at the pictures on Instagram. They're engaged. And, you know, and, and we're in our single season. And, and all these people get engaged and married. And we feel like what? We feel like, why them and not me? How come I don't find somebody? How come I don't have somebody? How come somebody doesn't approach me? And, and how come my relationships don't go the way they're supposed to go? Why do I always end up alone? God, what are you holding back from me? And you begin to develop that mentality like if you're lacking something, like if God's holding back on you, like if you are wanting something outside of what God has already given you. When you are happy with everything that God has given you, what is that called? contentment right contentment says God has given me everything that I need I lack nothing it doesn't mean that you're not going to work hard and keep pushing forward it doesn't mean that God isn't may not give you more stuff he may bless you and give you a bigger this a bigger that a better this a better that it doesn't matter God I'm happy with what you've given me today and thank you for it because if it was up to me I'd be in jail if it was up to me I'd probably be dead if it was up to me you know, we don't know where we would be, but God, you have me here. Thank you for here. Thank you for this. Thank you for that. Thank you for these people in my life. You know, I may be single and all these people are getting married, but look all the time I can spend encouraging this person and that person. And I can bless this person and that person. And I don't have to be, you know, in a relationship where I have to give account and call them and tell them where I'm at, who I'm with. You know, so it, it, it's, it's pros and cons, right? You could definitely find Good things and bad things about whatever season you're walking through. But at the end of the day, thank you, Lord. Praise you, God, because I have everything that I need. And some people get into this mindset, if I had this, I'll be happy. If I live there, I'll be happy. If I was this or I was that, I'd be happy. And C.S. Lewis and Mere Christianity, he spends a lot of time talking about the fact that outside of God, happiness and peace do not exist. You cannot leave your father's house and find happiness. You cannot walk out of your father's house and find peace. That's not going to happen. You're going to find peace and happiness and everything you need in your father's house. As soon as you walk out that door, you're walking from a place of blessing to a place of, say it, curse. 
It just, just walking past that threshold, I'm, I'm walking, I'm turning my back on my father's house, on my father's agenda, on my father's plans and purposes, and I'm walking out of the house. I'm walking into a curse. I love the word in Spanish. It says maldición. And so what is curse? Curse is you're open to everything and anything the devil has to throw you away. There's no protection. There's no guidance. You know, you're walking in the dark. And so the Bible says, I give people this example. Imagine if you went to go work for somebody and they told you, look, if you work so many hours, I'm going to pay you X amount of money. And you're like, okay, that sounds like a deal. Let's do it. And you work X amount of hours. And when you go to the guy, he doesn't want to pay you. How do you feel? You feel you got swindled, right? You feel you got cheated. What does the Bible say the wages of sin are? Death. So when you walk out of the house of blessing, you walk into the curse, you walk into the darkness, you walk away from your father, you separate yourself, the consequences is death. That is the consequences, maldición, curse, the consequence says, why do we not die? Why by the mercies of God does he give us a chance to come back? Why does he give us a chance to be restored? That is purely the mercy of God. And so we're going to see in, the, in this son's life in verse 13 that he got everything that he had and he turned his back on his family and his obligations, on his responsibilities. He was no longer considering other people's needs, but he journeyed to a far country. And there he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Now the word prodigal means like he lived like a madman, living la vida loca, like Ricky Martin, you know. He was just like savage, you know. He was just like drinking and debauchery with prostitutes and drugs he was just you know living what he felt he deserved would make him happy and so he indulged uh it was a me 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 lifestyle uh attempting to satisfy the need uh for his own fulfillment for his actualization but like i had said before this is an insatiable uh, uh position it's insatiable so you will run out of money. You will run out of energy. Um, in the world, we know like a lot of times I'll tell um, some of my patients uh, that got sober, they got off cocaine, they stopped using whatever. And one of the biggest complaints is they don't have energy for anything. <laughs> because out in the world, they sustain that lifestyle by using drugs and drugs and drugs. And they're, they're going and they're going and they're going, but they know that they're going to die. So they know that they have to stop. But, you know, that insatiable desire to just continue to consume and consume and consume and uh, feel that pleasure, um, uh, it's, it's insatiable. So he absolutely consumed all of his resources and he was left empty. And in verse 14 it says, But when he spent it all, there was a severe famine in the land and he began to be in want. He was never in want in his father's house. In his father's house, he could have reached out. He could have blessed the people. He could have participated in, in making the famine a little bit lighter on families. He could have been a blessing. But out here on his own, outside of his father's house, he was able to suffer the consequences of this famine. And it says in verse 18 that he went and he got together with one of the citizens of that country. So apparently he was an undocumented worker. That was a joke. <clears throat> He went and he joined himself with a citizen of that country and he sent him into the fields to feed the swine. And uh, not only was he sent to go now serve the swine because now like he's not serving people, he's not helping, he's not being a blessing like he was in his father's house. Now God sent him out to, to serve the swine, the pigs. And if you guys know, for Jewish people, 
The pig is like the lowest of the lowest of the lowest. Tradition has it that the Jewish people don't even have a name for the pig. Because they even refused to put a name on the pig, to direct themselves at the pig. But not only was he serving the pigs and he was having to take care of them and keep them clean and feed them, but then he started eating the pig's food. I mean, this, like back then, like what Jesus was saying, like this guy hit bottom. Uh, outside of his father's house, this is the condition that this young man ended up. In his father's house, there was all kinds of blessing and prosperity. Outside of his father's house, this man became completely emotionally, spiritually, and physically bankrupt. He had nothing left. He had exhausted all of his resources. There was no fountain of life, spring well of life coming his way. Verse 17, the young man said, but wait a second. I remember that in my father's house, even the servants have bread enough to eat, and it was so much that it would even be spared. It says, and I perish with hunger. And I love the verse in John 8, 13. 832 it says and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free that's right and this is what happened to the prodigal son i mean he was set free at that moment when he was able to confront because the bible says that he came to himself right so like he was out of his mind but when he was able to come to himself he realized man the truth is i am here living in this horrible situation but in my father's house there's all kinds of blessings spilling over and he said I'm going to go back to my father's house, verse 18, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so this is what we call repentance, right? This is you're turning your back on that lifestyle and you're walking in another direction back to your father's house. That is the first step in the right direction towards repentance. And repentance is the beginning, that is the beginning. Repentance is the beginning of your restoration. Without repentance, there can be no reconciliation. Without repentance, the son would still be dead. He would not be alive. But as soon as he started to walk in his father's direction, as soon as he began to take action to change his attitude, to change his life, to take himself to a better place, back to his father's house, that gave open the doors to the possibility of reconciliation. In verse 20, it says that his father saw him off far in the distance. But when he was still great way, uh, way away, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Therefore, the reconciliation was made complete when the father reached out to him in compassion and received him back into his home. Not only did the young man repent, but he returned. It's not good enough just to repent. That's just the beginning. You have to return for restoration and reconciliation. He actually physically he left the place where he was and he returned back to his house. If you don't leave the place where you're at, if you don't leave the lifestyle, the place, the people you're with, whatever, reconciliation is very difficult. It's very difficult. You will tend to continue to fall back into the same thing. But he got up and he left and he went back home. In verse 21, his, the son said to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And then the father rejoiced and he said to his servants, Bring out the best robe, put it on him, verse 22, and put a ring on his hand. And bring the fatted calf that was reserved for a special celebration, for a special occasion. Bring out the fatted calf that we've been holding for a long time and let's cut it up now. Let's feast because my son was dead and he is alive again, verse 24. He was lost and he is found and they began to celebrate. And so God's whole point in this uh, parable, Jesus' whole point was like, even if one sinner repents and comes back to the Lord, there's huge celebration in heaven. 
God has houses full of resources, is, is full of room for you. There's no need to continue to be on the outside looking in. There's no need to continue to have to suffer the consequences of being outside of your father's house. You can come back into your father's house, put your head down and say, listen, I thought it was going to go better, but it didn't go too well, so God, I'm back. And if you're in your father's house, there's nothing out there for you. You're not missing anything. You're not lacking anything. When the devil comes and says, hey, why not you? Why them? Like you deserve it. You have the right. When, when those words start going through your mind, you start thinking like that, just rebuke the devil. Say, the devil, you're a liar. I will have every single thing God has for me in its season. And God has it reserved. God, if God had a calendar up there, I tell people he has a date, he has a time when he is going to dispense to you that thing that you've been praying for. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's go ahead and stand up to our feet. Go ahead and uh, close our eyes and bow our heads. And just think there for a second, you know. And so this, is, this is a very extreme example where the kid left the house and he went through all this difficulty. Sometimes like, uh, you know, we, we uh, separate from God and his purpose and his plan, even for simple things, um, you know, uh, we want our own agenda. We're insisting that God does something. We grow cold and we grow angry. We grow bitter towards God. And uh, we're still in his house, but we're carrying around that anger and that bitterness. And I promise you that that seed of bitterness and anger and resentment will give fruit one day. And that fruit will be separation. Okay, so uh, let's go ahead and say a prayer this morning. Let's uh, get back in right standing with God. Let's close our eyes and bow our heads. And everybody could repeat after me, Lord Jesus, I thank you for allowing me to be in your house. I know and I believe that everything that you have for me, I can find right here in your presence. Devil, you're a liar. There's nothing out there for me that God does not, that God is holding back from me. I will stay here and I will continue to serve God all the days of my life. And I will wait on him for everything that I need. In Jesus' name. Father God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for uh, the opportunity to be able to get together and, and learn about your word, Lord, and your promises and your goodness in our lives. Father God, we know and we know and we know that you have everything according to your riches and glory that we need. And Father God, you will dispense it according to your perfect plan and purpose for our lives. We will receive it in season and when it's appropriate. And, and, and in that situation, Father God, we... We will praise you and we'll glorify you because we know that you are the supplier of all of our needs, Father God. And, and Lord, you've been saying your word that even the desires of our heart, you will give us, Father God, if we continue to work and obey and trust your word, Lord. If we wait on you, you will give us even the desires of our heart, Lord. And we believe that this morning, Lord. We thank you for that promise. And we hold fast, Father God. We pray for the sons and the daughters, Lord, that, that are to come back, Father God, that you hasten, Father God, their return, Father God, and that you would uh, just bring conviction, Father God, into the hearts and repentance, Lord, and that you would bring them back, Lord, for the spouses, Father God, that the separation, Father God, that you would restore those marriages, Father God, that you would give us supernatural grace, Father God, and strength to be able to continue to uh, hold fast and be faithful and just know that your timing, your season will be perfect, but that you will fulfill your promise, Father God. You promise, Father God, that if we love you, we serve you, not one family member will be lost. And so we pray that this morning, Father God, and we trust you fully. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church says, amen, amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.